Good and gracious God, it's so good to worship you here today. And we give thanks for who you are. And now, I pray that Spirit of the living God, you would fall on us, that you would melt us, that you would mold us, that you would fill us, and oh yes, that you would use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. His name was Art Starnes, and I don't think I've ever met anyone quite like Art Starnes. He was a rancher in the San Joaquin Valley of Central California, one of the great food-producing areas in the United States. I was in Turlock, California, where he lived, with my wife Alice and my daughter Becky and her parents, visiting her parents there. And I met Art at their church probably the first time I was there. And when he found out that I'd grown up on a fruit farm in Michigan, he was all over it. He immediately invited me to go with him on a peach-picking expedition. Now i got to tell you, um, he first said, could we leave at 5 in the morning? I was on vacation. It was, didn't sound good at all, so I negotiated all the way to six. And I remember he came early, and he waited out there in his truck for a little bit. His truck was an old pickup, even though he was probably a multimillionaire. He had an old pickup that was held together with baling wire and chewing gum, I believe. And uh, I remember as we took off, he was so engaging. The thing that was kind of interesting, he'd driven some of those old roads, he'd, he'd, he probably was in his mid-80s, driven some of those roads for decades, and they'd put in a lot of stop signs since, uh, since he had been driving them, and he paid no regard to them. And, and most of the time, not only was he not seeing any of the stop signs, but he was looking at me, just jabbering away, telling me all about how Central California had been uh, settled. And I remember that uh, and Alice actually reminded me of this, that when he would speak to you, it would also close his eyes. So not only was he not looking, he was not looking at the road, but he was looking at me with his eyes closed. And I, I was just a little uneasy with that. In fact, I was trying to white-knuckle it without him even knowing that I was. Well, it was, that was an astonishing thing in itself. But uh, the next astonishing thing was that as we pulled up to one of his orchards, he said, now this orchard was picked, I forget, but several days before. And I'm trying to think, okay, we're going to pick peaches in an orchard that's already been picked. And at first glance, the trees had no peaches on them. After we got out of the truck and I whispered a quick prayer of thanksgiving for safety, Art proudly took me to the back of his truck. And there was something you could see that he valued very highly. He had two long bamboo poles, and at the top of them was fastened with duct tape, large coffee cans. And he gingerly took them out with great respect. And he said, we are going to do something very special. We're going to be looking at many of those trees, and we're going to find those peaches that the pickers missed. Those are tree ripened. Those are the best ones of all. And so, in a way that, he, that had the kind of, uh, he, he was as adept at it as maybe a professional, and agile at it as a professional athlete, as, as his trade, he would take a pole 
you would find that peach, and then with a flick of the wrist, you would hear a gentle thud, and the peach would, the peach would fall in the can, you would bring it down, and then carefully put it in a bucket. Well, after several mishaps, I caught on. And before I knew it, I was just looking around to the point that I kind of worked my way into lostness. I didn't know where I was after a while, but I saw one peach, and then there would be another one, and then another one. And it wasn't long and until my bucket was filled to overflowing with the most beautiful tree-ripened peaches you would ever want to find. I remember then, as I tried to figure out where I was, I called out, and he was quite a ways away, and I finally moved back toward the truck, and in a very loving way, he said, here, take some of my best ones. And he put them on my bucket when they rolled off and they wouldn't stay on. As I thought about all of that, I so appreciated what he had done and the spirit with which he did it. And I probably enjoyed that more than any golf game I've ever played in my whole life. Dear friends, in every bit as much joy and excitement I believe that God, our awesome creator and our sustainer, deeply desires for you and me to be overflowing like those buckets of peaches with the delectable fruit of the Spirit. These fruit are a part of our spiritual DNA as Christ followers who have been given the Holy Spirit as we commence our journey of faith. Art Starnes taught me another lesson. Year after year, as my family would visit, we would see Art. His wife was not well, and the way that he took care of her was so special. More than the delectable fruit which he grew and in which he took such pride, Art naturally produced the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He was really special. It's been more than 15 years since I've seen him now, and I bet Art is probably not living, but his memory is still very much etched on my mind. Art produced some wonderful fruit. If you would, I'd like for you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. As a quick introduction to Galatians, Paul's letter it's to several churches in an area of Asia Minor known as Galatia. And here he's trying to deal with uh, an issue, and the issue was that uh, there were many who had become Jewish Christians who thought it was still imperative to keep the letter of the Old Testament law. Paul wants them to know emphatically that they now have a new freedom in Christ which they must not abuse. He gives them some important history in chapters 1 and 2. And then he gives them a biblical theological background in chapters 3 and 4. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he gives them some practical application. Please follow along with me as I read, paying close attention to his mention of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Listen now for the word of the Lord. So I say... Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. As we look at this passage, I think that we find that the fruits of the Spirit are produced in us as we live by the Spirit. While Paul has made the point that they are no longer under the bondage of the Old Testament law, they are not to allow that freedom to do whatever they desire. In fact, in verses uh, 13 through 15, just before the passage I read, Paul says, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. There is a classic battle between life in the spirit and the sinful nature. There was once an old Indian who became a follower of Christ, and he tried to characterize what was happening, and he said, you know, it's like I've got two dogs inside of me all the time. There's the good dog, and there's the bad dog, and they're always fighting with each other. And he said, but I've learned this, that the one I say sick him to always wins. When we give in to the sinful nature, Paul says, we don't do what we really want to do. Paul, in Romans 7, takes up that same theme, and he even adds, and what we don't want to do, it seems like we end up doing. That's a human dilemma, isn't it? When we're left to our own devices, in our own power, I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I can relate to that on a daily basis. Then he gives us a long list of activities which are acts of the sinful nature. Well, we don't have time to get into each of them. I will tell you that most translations don't do them justice. This, by anyone's standards, is a sordid list. In vivid contrast, Paul then calls them to live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature, he says. As the old Indian mentioned, no matter who you are and where you've been, no matter how long we've been followers of Christ, we have a battle which is waged between the good and the evil, the Holy Spirit and the sinful nature. Someone has visualized it as a tug of war that's going on continually. Often, as I would teach classes and, and spend time with groups, and I have a chance to get up on a newsprint board and, and, and make a picture or on a blackboard, I would kind of visualize it as our lives are like a cylinder, 
and on each end are pistons. One end is uh, the spirit and the other end is the, the evil nature, and they're driving against one another and pushing against one another, and we're kind of in between. No matter how you visualize it, it's the human dilemma that we always face. In fact, try this on for size, I think we're most vulnerable when we think somehow in our own strength and our own prowess, we've conquered the sinful nature. In this passage, as well as Romans 7, it is only by God's power that we can be overcomers. Now, to go a step further, through the power of the Spirit, not only are we empowered to overcome the sinful nature, but God wants to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Instead of using, abusing, manipulating, causing harm to the people around us, we have the potential to be catalysts of love and care for those we love the most. That's quite a contrast, isn't it? Let's move on to the next point that I want to make from this passage. The fruits of the Spirit are meant to grow in Christ's followers just as naturally as fruit grows on fruit trees. Now, the metaphor of the Holy Spirit producing fruit is one that the people of Paul's day must have understood well. They must have related to that. For if you even go to Israel today, you find that there are orchards and uh, there are vineyards that kind of uh, dot the landscape. They were not nearly as removed from the source of the production of fruit as we are when we buy fruit in our grocery stores today. I shared with you, uh, some of you anyway, that I've grown, I grew up on a fruit farm, actually a couple of fruit farms. The first one had grapes, peaches, and cherries, and the other farm had apples, peaches, pears, plums, and cherries. That was in southwestern Michigan. And I saw firsthand all the work that would be done. In the wintertime, even if there was snow on the ground, they would be um, trimming the trees, cutting them back, and sometimes as you looked at the trees, they, it seemed like it was far too severe. But then in the spring, we were fertilizing and beginning to spray against insects and uh, also different kinds of fungi and, and uh, molds. And then in the summer, the orchards had to be mown and sprayed at crucial junctures. Then in July, there were cherries that were harvested, August, peaches, September and October for apples. With cherries and apples, we had large machines that would go around each of the trees, and we would shake the trees. The fruit would fall off onto conveyor belts that would take them up into if it were cherries, a tank of uh, water, and if it were uh, a, a large box for apples. Now, some of you have never seen an operation like that. How many of you have ever seen an operation like that? I, I figured it'd be like that. And uh, so I, I figured I must tell you about an amazing discovery that I made at a relatively young age. And please do not applaud when I tell you about this. I, I, I discovered that each year, from the time that the blossoms First there were buds, then there were blossoms, then there were apples. And here's my discovery. Every year, apples grew on apple trees. Hmm. Peaches grew on peach trees. Plums grew on plum trees. Cherries grew on cherry trees. 
I, I'm sure you're utterly astounded at uh, the profundity of my observations. I believe Paul was saying to the churches of Galatia and to us today that just as naturally as apples grow on apple trees, so the fruit of the Spirit should grow on us. It is no more or less extraordinary than fruit trees producing fruit. It should be the norm and not the exception. Another of my impressive powers of observation caused me to see up close and firsthand that I, something that I'd never seen before. I'd never seen, think about this now, a tree straining or heard a tree straining or working to produce fruit. These trees were doing just what they were created to do. They were accomplishing God's given purpose for them. So it is with us, dear friends. When we are living in the Spirit, without straining or working at it, we should naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's part of our spiritual DNA as Christ followers to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We are the most Christ-like when these fruit, which are perfectly seen in him, are seen and produced within us. Let me make one more point. The fruits of the Spirit are grown in the soil of love. Did you notice when I was reading this passage and you were reading along with me that Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and not the fruits of the Spirit are? Some scholars say that Paul was intentionally making the point that the other eight fruits grow naturally out of the soil of love. Love is at the very center of all of the fruits. That idea would certainly coincide with 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul writes about love and he says, this is the greatest of all. Think for a moment about how that works. When I really love someone, there's joy. There's a sense of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's a part of that relationship in the most natural way. Billy Graham, one of the most admired men in America, once preached a sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. See how he came to that same conclusion when he wrote. Now the fruit of the Spirit... The first one is love, and this is the heart of it all, because if you love, that takes care of all the rest. They are all wrapped up in that one word, love. And Graham goes on to write that the Greeks had a better idea. They realized that we only have, oh, they didn't realize that, but we only have one word for love. They have three. One is the word eros, which had, has the idea of the physical, sensual kind of love, which is a gift from God. The next is philos, which has the idea of uh, familial love, the kind of love that families have for each other. And the last one is the strongest one by far, the word agape. And that's the word that's used here. The word agape is seen in its perfection in God's love for us. It's a love which reaches out, not willing to 
see the other person diminished in any way, but wanting to build the other person up, not counting the returns or the, the rewards or the remuneration, but wanting to give for the sake of giving, disregarding oneself. You see how that kind of agape is the soil from which the other eight fruits grow? A preacher from yesteryear, Donald Gray Barnhouse, understood this idea well when he wrote, love is the key. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. Oh, dear friends, love is the soil from which the rest of the fruits of the Spirit grow. I remember in that little country church that I grew up in in southwestern Michigan, that every week as we left, we would sing one particular song. It was an old hymn, and it simply went, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. The Holy Spirit wants to continually renew you and me so that people see Jesus in his beauty on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis. God, the Holy Spirit, wants to fill us so that prayerfully, using the spiritual gifts that he has given us, the fruit of the Spirit are lived out in such a way that people naturally see Jesus in you and me. Martin Luther captured that idea when he said, you know, you know what the church ought to be? The church ought to be made up of a bunch of little Christs who are reaching out and impacting their world. Do people see Jesus in you in the most positive, tantalizing way? If you were arrested for being a Christian, someone said, would they have enough evidence to convict you? Put another way, just as naturally as apples grow on apple trees are the fruits of the Spirit being produced by the Spirit in your life. More than programs, more than exceptional media, more than gifted communicators, more than wonderful musicians, people are drawn to Jesus Christ by the fruits of the Spirit naturally grown in people like you and me. Dear friends, as I wrap up this series of messages on being renewed by the Spirit, I believe God wants to challenge each one of us to live by the Spirit and not gratifying the desires of the sinful nature. That all begins as we receive, accept God's wonderful gift of Jesus as our Savior and Lord, opening the way for the Holy Spirit to indwell each one of us. It all starts there. If you've never come to a point in your life of making that invitation and you would like to explore what that would be like, there will be people in our prayer team over by the cross afterwards, and they would be glad to pray with you. Certainly, we as pastors, if you would call us, we would love to spend time with you. People on our staff, our elders, feel free to contact us. 
If as you reflect upon and evaluate your life in light of this passage, and you know that somehow you're off the path, it doesn't feel like you're in sync, you're not producing the fruit like you would like to, today you can repent and walk and come home and walk with God maybe like you once did. The Spirit wants to produce those fruit within you again, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't know about you, but in my deepest self, in my most quiet moments, I want those fruit to be a part of my life so that I'm impacting the people that I love around me, so the people at work, so the people that I come in contact with each day see the beauty of Jesus in me. Just between you and me, I'm afraid that we haven't produced those fruit very well. For example, I remember on several occasions having conversations with servers in restaurants, and you know what their least favorite day of the week is? Sundays. Person after person after person said, it's Sunday because of those church people. And they said, no one that we know is more arrogant, more rude, more insensitive, and cheap than those church people. I've even heard stories on Sunday mornings of, and, and again, this is, this is something I've asked at several restaurants, not necessarily around here, so I'm sure it's not true here, but uh, although I don't know. But, uh, and, and, and they said, we even know stories of, of young uh, trainees who go crying into the kitchen because church people have been rude to them. As I reflect upon my childhood again on a fruit farm, there was so, something so special about going to an apple orchard in the crisp, sunny days of the fall. There would be a sea of red or yellow and this aroma of fresh apples. It was a culmination of a whole year's work. It was so tantalizing and special. It was harvest time. Oh, dear friends, I believe God wants it to be harvest time in your life and mine with the fruit of the Spirit being naturally produced in each one of our lives. Just as apples grow on apple trees, God wants to produce the fruit of the Spirit in each of our lives so that the beauty of Jesus is seen in us. As I reflect upon my friend Art Starnes, one of the most beautiful things about him was I saw Jesus in him every time I was with him. How about you? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, as we gather here today, we come here not as perfect people, but we come here as people needing your help, needing your strength, needing your spirit to fill us and bring us help and hope. Good and gracious God, I thank you for the way that you have provided for us that you have given us your spirit, that he's come as the comforter, the counselor. He's come as the one who convicts us. He comes as the one who wants to produce fruit within each one of us. 
God, continue to speak to each one of us as we leave this place. And in a way that is far greater than maybe our deepest and greatest dreams, I pray that this week the fruit of the Spirit might be so abundant in us that people might be asking about you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.